Hi, everyone. This is Cassandra, and you're listening to Financing Ambition, a Laura Rose podcast. We're joined today by Dr. Janasia, also known as the Ankh Doc on social media, who's a triple board certified hematologist and medical oncologist at Baton Rouge General Hospital and is the host of an innovative podcast called Target Cancer. We also have Dr. Shaw, an anesthesiologist in Chicago, where he's focused on surgical procedures for veterans and reducing dependence on opioids. Dr. Shaw completed both his residency and fellowship in Chicago, and prior to that, worked as an investment banker in New York City. So we're in good company today. Thank you both for joining us. Welcome. Better to be here. Thank you for having us. And hopefully people can learn some things that we've learned, you know, either the right way or the wrong way. Right, Chirag? Exactly. Pleasure to be here. Nice to see you again, Sanjay. Today, we're talking about the financial challenges that residents face early in their careers. And we're thrilled to have you both here since you know firsthand the unique challenges that can hit you right after residency. First, let's talk a little bit about the current rate environment. There's news every day about rising interest rates and what might happen next. So what do you think residents should know about the world of finance right now? That's a really good question. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty and it's scary. Um, I'm only two and a half, three years out of residency and fellowship. And one of the best things I did, and it was luck, is I refinanced my loans. Most of us had fixed rates with the government at about six, six and a half percent. And interest rates were low for a long period of time. So it was a great time to refinance. And unfortunately now, we're kind of heading back in the environment now where the Fed is raising rates. Just this past month, they raised uh, 0.75%. And then all of that is going to get pushed into the student loans as well. So rates are going to be rising um, when you refinance. So it's just something to be careful about. I do think that they're still lower than the 6.8% that the federal rates were at back in the day before the forbearance that uh, is currently in place. But rates will be rising uh, for the foreseeable future from what it seems like. Sanjay, I know that you had some thoughts on this, too, because of your refinancing. Um, so if you want to chime in with what you've been seeing out there. Right. Yeah. So like it, exactly that. I mean, you know, when you think fundamentally on the concept of student debt, it just means like, hey, we're going to let you basically loan out this whatever, 100K, 200K. But for the opportunity cost, because we can't use that money, you're going to give us, and it was the same for me exactly, 6.8% every year. And that's, you know, that's because we're giving it to you and we can't use it. But then what's really annoying is, but reasonable, sure, is is that, well, I can't pay that 6.8% yet, or if I choose not to, then they say, well, we need 6.8% of that too, because that technically is is more opportunity cost that we're losing. So that's the concept of debt. And and then what's happening during that time, if you uh, aren't able to also pay, you know, the interest on that debt. Well, what I was always told, right, when the market was, was was good and uh you know seven percent six percent whatever people were quoting you uh on the market return they're like well you can refinance for you know three percent market is six percent so take your time this and that that's unfortunately just like a different playing field it seems going forward because now you know you, nobody or if they are telling you that you want to see like are we sure it's going to be six seven percent i sure i want to do this and that and so that's where it gets kind of sticky and hopefully some of the stuff that we covered today will kind of give you an idea of okay if I don't like the uncertainty, maybe these are some of the things I should look into or think about um, just because things are dynamic and it's just not that time. When when I started, you know, about golly, eight, eight years ago now out of um, med school compared to previous, but these are the tools to help you kind of curtail that or go around that if you don't, you know, and rightfully so, know who to trust on one side or the other. And along those lines, I think there's two ways to think about it as well. Refinancing your student loans is free. 
um, and you can do it as often as you like. So at some point, if you want to lock in a lower rate, it's a good idea to do it. And there's two ways to do it. You can do a variable rate or a fixed rate. So what I initially did was I had a variable rate and it was super low because the Fed rates were essentially 0%. Um, so my loans were essentially, I was paying no interest and I was just paying principal off, which was great. Right. With the ro- loans, um, with the rates rising now, those variable rates are going to continually reflect what the market is doing. So those have been going up. So at some point you may also think, hey, it might be time to get into a fixed rate if you think the rates are consistently going to continue climbing. So it's something to think about. I know it's a a little bit more nuanced. um, And the nice thing is you can get help with stuff like this. And it's a good idea just to take a moment for yourself and think about where your money is going and how you want to kind of position yourself for the future. Thank you. So talking a little bit more about the point right when you're coming out of residency um, and the things maybe that you might have done differently or wish that you had, um, starting with you, Dr. Janeja, is there something specifically that you wish you'd done or something that you might tell your younger self about managing your money at that stage in your career? Yeah, so I, you know, to start, I did something that if you're in residency, I suspect there's somebody who's listening to this that's like, dude, I did exactly what you did. And that was basically hold off any decision about anything because I ain't got time to even understand these terms and I'm just going to put pause on it. That's what I, that's what I basically thought this word meant, which was forbearance. I'm like, forbearance means suspend, pause, can't address it, got to do my medicine stuff. We'll revisit this later. So I opted for for that. I want that. That sounds easy. And then what happened was, you know, obviously I got arguably wiser, maybe a little bit in that time. And what that means when you're doing that, nobody, there's no, my dad always said, he didn't say many phrases, you know, he's from India, came here, but one phrase he always said was no such thing as a pre-lunch. So it's not a full pause button. You're paying for that pause button. You're basically just pausing on like your decision. So like, you know, with forbearance, you're still getting uh, interest. So, right, Chirac? Interest is building up on your loan. Okay, good. I was making sure you're looking at me. I was making sure. Right. Yeah, see, if I had you as a friend, I would have known that the forbearance is not a pause button, but that pause button's costing me a pretty large number. And it's costing my wife a large number because she did the same three specialties and it took us forever. Number one, let me just make sure. And it's okay if you're listening to this and you're in your PGY one, two, three, and you're like, oh my gosh, I hit the pause button. What do I do? You can, you can unpause it. Like that's always a choice, right? Every July you are able to, to change that too. So that's number one. Forbearance is not a full pause. There's a cost to the pause. And that just means I'm not making a decision, but obviously that interest is still coming in. Now, of course, that was true when you were in residency and interest is typically accruing, but interest in payments, as we know, on federal loans has been paused in response to COVID-19. Dr. Shaw, what else would you recommend as an alternative after the pause ends? So if you do income-based repayment based on your you know, resident salary of, let's say, $60,000, you are still paying a very minimal amount, but each of those payments counts towards that 10-year frame. Uh, obviously, if you can't afford it and you can't pay the minimum, it makes sense to do it, but it's probably the least um, palatable option out of everything out there that I would pick if I was a resident. Exactly right. And and if exactly like Jarek said, after med school, if you are doing a fellowship or you're doing one of these six, seven, eight years like my wife and I did, that's like stuff if you start paying on a fifty thousand, I think our was our resident salary, like it's pretty minimal because like it it you know, it's very low at the beginning, but I could have gotten six years right off the bat. And then the other four considered doing, you know, a public, you know, whatever that setup, which we'll get into later. Uh, to kind of neutralize that 10 years with six of them being mandatory. So that's another huge boom. Congratulations. You're listening to this. You should be excited. You just learned two amazing things that, uh, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know. So a tie into all of that, or really to the, especially the forbearance part, was 
what I said at the beginning, which was you're getting that 6.8% for the opportunity cost that, that any bank is losing, and that's a reasonable thing. But then you're also paying the 6.8% on top of that. And each year I paid more on 6.8 plus that 6.8 on that, on that, on that, that's compounded. And I think that I just did not understand. Um, and I was really good at math. I was a math champion, but I just never, did, I just never understood the actual semantics of it. And so now I really do wish in hindsight that I would have paid the interest off because then, then that, that, you know, that number that I, that I loaned out would have stayed more or less the same. And if you can't, even if you want to think about it as 6.8%, if I, you pay, if you pay half, which is hundreds, we're not talking usually three figures, like hundreds of dollars, um, you know, a month, you could pretend it's a 3.4 because at least you're getting 3.4 compounded interest because you're using at least paying half your interest off every month. So these are little tricks you can play to sometimes make it easier. But if you're going into a long residency, it just makes such a big aggregate difference. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing that. Yeah, there's so many considerations, obviously, um, at that kind of phase in your life. Yeah, I was going to say, Dr. Shaw, is there anything you would add on that front? Again, sort of if you had to kind of boil it down to a few things that you could do um, right after residency, during residency to, to get your finances in order. Yeah. So I graduated from med school and went straight to residency like most of you. And I actually um, started paying off the minimum on the 6.8 based on an income-based repayment. But I went for a, I didn't stay in a not-for-profit uh, environment. So what I actually wish I'd done was refinanced. I kind of knew I'm an anesthesiologist. I knew I was going to do private practice initially anyways, and then my career path changed a little bit where I'm actually at a public institution now. But I knew that at some point that I wanted to be in private practice, what I should have done is I should have refinanced that 6.8 down um, into a you know 1%, 2%, whatever rates were being offered, because those are all-time low rates. Even now, I think you're probably at 3 or 4%. These are all-time historic low rates. And instead of the balance building up, like Sanjay was saying, on the 6.8%, it would have been 3% or 4%. And even companies like Laurel Road, where they, they make the minimum payment $100 a month. So at least you're paying down something towards that interest that's building up uh, at a much lower interest rate. And that's kind of a key component here. The 6.8 isn't a one-year thing. Let's say you get taxed on 100000 6. Point, uh, not taxed, I'm sorry. Let's say you have an interest rate of 6.8. Your balance will go up to 106000 uh, and $800 if you don't pay any of it off. But then the next year, it's 6.8% of that new number, and it's compounding, like Sanjay was saying. And then the year after, in your third year of residency, it's 6.8% of even a larger number. So whatever you can pay off, your best bet is to start paying off as little as little as you can, or as much as you can, but I understand it's a little number when we all start out. I fully, yeah, fully agree. Like, And, and I like what you said earlier, because some people do look at that variable versus fixed, and yeah, and it's just like, I feel like everyone gets two versions. The way, right way to do things with Chirag and the way that Sanjay should have been Chirag. But like, I, so I thought, well, you tell me variable, you tell me, they're like, well, look, historically, this and that. And at least there is some merit to my thinking. This is what it does. It usually hasn't gone up in 10 years, this blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, at the end of the day, you're telling me if it goes up to 20% and it follows the market that I could be responsible on a variable rate for 20%, then I'm, I want fixed. And so the fix is always more. Now, in hindsight, again, if I would have done it, I would have actually benefited for a solid number of years at a much lower uh, uh, variable rate. But those are things to consider. And just listening to you, Chirag, I didn't even think about it. You, I mean, like exactly like you said, there's no, like refinancing is free. I could have refinanced variable for a while. And then, right, you can refinance that to a fix later if you started getting nervous. And you can refinance as much as you want. There's no prepayment penalties and there's no application fees. Um 
So that's, I think, one of the important things to know. Like, maybe I should lock in a lower interest rate right now. And then if the rates keep falling, then I can refinance. But if the rates keep going up, at least I'm locked in at this period of time at a certain rate. And I really do think that's an important concept to understand here because the rate environment we're in, it seems like the rates are going to be rising for the foreseeable future. Obviously, no one can predict the future, uh, but that's what it seems like. So to me, if the national uh, forbearance plan goes away and you start being paying an interest rate of 6.8%, you should really think about refinancing. I'll tell you something that's really bad that you've spoken on is tell me about the interest rates and compounding and not compounding on credit cards. That's like that. That's a whole different conversation, right? And that's, that's a whole different ballgame because you're looking at 18 to 20%, if not higher. Um, so if I was a resident right now, the first thing I would do is put those loans on a back burner if I had them and pay off my credit card loans. Because a lot of us had moving expenses. We didn't have a lot of money saved up when we got out of med school, right? We had this big amount of debt. We were moving to a new city, getting settled in a new apartment. We have to have car payments. We have to have a down payment for the apartment, uh, for the rent. And sometimes we have to take a cash advance or figure it out. Um, and those interest rates are killer at 18 to 20%. So as soon as you get your first paychecks, ideal world, what you could do is pay off your credit card debt and then move on to your student loans. And obviously you may have some other forms of debt, but you should always think about paying off your highest interest rates and then move down to your lowest interest rate products, whatever those may be. And the other nice thing is actually some of the doctor, um, banks and companies out there may even give you a loan at a lower interest rate to pay off your credit card, uh, which is really beneficial because you're taking a 6% interest and applying that to a 20% interest. So it's like saving 14%. Credit card debt really is the worst thing you can do for yourself starting out in any career, especially as a resident that's making, you know, 50, 60,000 like we all did uh, when we got out of med school. So I totally agree with you, Sanjay. I think the most important thing is to pay off your high debt and move on to your low debt after that. So we've talked about a few of these sort of key concepts with compound interest, obviously understanding your options when it comes to refinancing, when it comes to paying off debt. You've both mentioned that coming again right out of residency, sort of where do you turn to for financial advice and that maybe institutions are bombarding you with marketing offers? Dr. Shah, how, how would you advise with, with your experience, you know, on, in the financial sector to start to navigate some of those um, different offers? So it's really difficult, right? You're in a profession where your future payoff is going to be substantial. And anytime you have an instance like that, where you maybe don't have the business knowledge or the financial knowledge, people are going to jump in, try to give you advice on X, Y, Z, whether it's financial advisors trying to cold call you on link or trying to match with you on LinkedIn or Facebook or what have you. And everyone's going to want to give you advice. Um, I think the most important thing you can do is look for a fiduciary, meaning they have to have your best interests in heart. And number two is maybe just spend a little bit of time trying to educate yourself by going to non-affiliated websites that aren't trying to sell you anything or that are just an information depot. Um, there's a lot on TikTok. As Sanjay knows, he's uh, quite active there. There's also many websites online. And there's other people that are easily accessible on Twitter where you can just message and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. And it's surprising how people will get back to you and kind of give you a a path and a map, maybe help you chart stuff out. Um, But the one thing I wouldn't do is sign up with someone that wants money to give you that advice or is trying to sell you a product that's going to net them money. Um, And I think you just have to be really cognizant of who you're kind of attaching attaching yourself to. 100%. I mean, I think you know, again, being on the other side, so my number one advice is do not feel pressured, 
or anything. There's no reason to feel pressured this early in your training. Exactly to what Chirac said, the income amount, whether you, oh, you, you know, you fall behind a couple of years on some compounded interest that works for you in a good way or some compounded, you know, whatever, plenty of time to do it. When you make decisions haphazardly, not only are you compromising, you know, potentially doing something that you didn't ideally want to do, but you don't want to have this thought like, why, why did I do that? Or why did I regret it? And those, those couple of thousands, it almost always charges something uh, at that stage that you feel like you just had to do. You start regretting that because you really needed it more. You have plenty of time to figure it out. That's for, that's for sure. And I think that would be the number one thing. And then learn the basic concept, phrases, and words. Start simple, get the, edu- the education, then you'll actually feel less pressured and less kind of like influenced because you'll kind of know what they're talking about and you'll, you'll really appreciate how you have time to figure these things out. Yeah. And the other thing that I think people really come at you during residency is, you know, you have to lock in disability insurance right now. You have to get life insurance right now. You have to do this and that right now. And I think a lot of times it's good to take a step back and kind of see what your needs really are for any of those products and then try and go to non-biased sites, find out the information about it, and then make an informed decision just so you're not buying or kind of falling into the scare tactics that people may employ. Um, so like I mentioned, I would go to, as much as I can, non-biased sources where I'm just getting information. Um, so I would go to a site that doesn't sell um life insurance or disability insurance and try and find out from them what their viewpoints on those products are. Um, And I think that's a really smart way to kind of propel your financial education because we've spent four years in medical school learning about sciences and um, learning about the human body, but we haven't really been taught how to manage, uh, manage our bank accounts. And this is the first time we're really getting a paycheck is as a first year resident. So it's important to know how to allocate and how to spend and how to conserve and how to kind of think about your budgeting because it's probably the first time we're all taking an active role in that. Um, So just be careful about where you're finding your information, who you're listening to and what you're spending your money on. So coming back to that idea of education, obviously med school debt is probably going to be one of the, you know, top of mind concerns. Um, Is there anything else that you think is really important to consider on that front? We've talked about refinancing. We've talked a little bit about public loan forgiveness. Um, And then when it comes to refinancing, is it a good idea in the current economic environment? Yeah, I think we, you know, I think, appreciating those concepts of like, if I had to basically triage it, it'd be like, number one, public loan forgiveness or not, that's, that's 10 years, where do I really see myself going? I was pretty confident I'd be in private practice, wanted to go back to my hometown practice, you know, in a clinic and stuff. So immediately, boom, that's the first step. And then the next step is, okay, if I'm not getting locked into this 10 year, then that suddenly that qualifies me for a uh, refinancing, because I've said I'm probably not going to be 10 years in this, in this uh, uh, arena. Then on that on that second level, okay, refinance. The questions are when do it now or do I forbear? I think you can appreciate hopefully like where the forbearance can be, uh, uh, you know, detrimental uh, at least for long term. How much you end up owing? And if you are going to refinance, variable or fixed? Well, what does everything look like right now with the variability part? Can I ride out something that's really nice and low? Now knowing because you heard this that you can just opt then for a fixed. I remember thinking for six or seven years or whatever my term is, you're telling me if it goes up, I'm stuck. Like. They say, well, yeah, it's a variable. They don't tell you, no, actually, you could refinance somewhere else or here again, and you'll like just be fixed, do fixed at that time. Like, if I would have known that, I would be like, yeah, give me that less than 1% that Chirag got is, I think, what he quoted me. Sorry to, you know, basically air out your business. But that was really just remarkable when I heard that. So that's the second step. Just figure it out. Like, do you want to or do you not want to? Um, and then, you know, we touched on it, but definitely help is a lot of different places with people. I'm not trying to put it on you. There's like, 
credit unions and there's, you know, again, refinancing services. But when I say help, I mean for loans, like if you need additional money, like avoid the credit cards, that MDDO or that professional certification, that actually, that is trust for a somebody that a lender that wants to lend you something. But like, I, I feel I know on average and statistically, your chances of being able to pay me back are very comfortable. So that's, that's the reason. It's not like, ooh, you're a doctor, I'm gonna give you a better like deal. No, it's like, it's the security of knowing you'll get paid back, which allows them to take more risk. And so you always want to explore those things if you can to help, you know, meet those needs. And then I think, and Chirag talks about this and we mentioned it more, and he hit this hard to me when we met in New York, was like, when you go into practice and stuff, if you can get free money, which basically means a match in a system where you're able to just kind of store something away and not get taxed on it and just let it grow and maybe put it in the background, opt for it. Does anyone know what that is? I'm going to give you two seconds. One, two, three. Should have said 401k. That's what that's that's the that's what he told me to go right into, like kind of after that residence thing. Hey, get a match. Basically, like say, let somebody literally give you money, if I'm understanding that correctly, and then literally, um, you know, not have it taxed at that high income. Usually, when you start, they give you a nice, comfortable income to get you to that practice, right? So you're in a really high tax bracket and stuff. So it's nice to be able to um, put that away. If I didn't misspeak, Jira. No, you're right on. So I think you should really think about three things. One, what is my debt and how do I get rid of my debt? So if I have student loans, I need to be thinking about as a first year resident, do I need to refinance? Yes or no. So right now, I wouldn't refinance anything. You have public, you have uh, forbearance from the government and each of those counts towards the public service loan forgiveness. Until that program goes away, I would not touch my student loans because your interest isn't building or anything like that and you're not repaying it, which is great. And each month that goes by is counting towards your repayment. Once that goes away, exactly like Sanjay said, you need to make a decision. Am I going to go for public service loan forgiveness, a 10-year program, or am I going to be in private practice? If you're going to be in private practice and your interest rates are 6.8%, go out there and see if you refinance what the rates are going to be. Whether you choose a variable or a fixed, at least get an idea of what you can get on the open market at rates. Obviously, then you're going to be worried about making your minimum payments. Most of these places, like Laurel Road, have a hundred dollars a month payment while you're a resident. So keep that in mind, and you can always pay more too if you're saving up. You can always pay more so that your interest isn't building, and you could probably eat into the principal. So once you pay off your credit card debts, number two, you think about your loans, and then number three, think about your four hundred one k. How do I get free money? Free money is the best money. So if someone is going to give you money just to save money and not tax it and allow it to grow in a tax free. Uh, account. So instead of putting it in a savings account, I would put that in my 401k account. Now, the only downside is you can take out your savings account anytime, but the 401k becomes a little bit more restricted, obviously, until retirement. Uh, So that's something to think about. But essentially, if you're getting a match on it, it's probably worth it. Um, So those are the three things that I wish I would have thought about and knew about as a first year resident. And I will say, just on that point that we both said about public uh, loan forgiveness or private practice, if you got your calculator and you're like, I'm, I did mechanical engineering like to get into medicine, give me more. If you want to do some crunch, some extra numbers, you think about the difference on what you would get as a private practice doctor for those additional four years. Like I said, I had six years, right, for three specialties. I needed four more. So I did the math and said, private practice, I make X, you know, public, uh, public forgiveness kind of setup or academics, I make Y. And if that delta, and it often is in any specialty, is six figures, and that's six figures, you know, times four, and you're seeing like on the saving that interest or like getting it forgiven, you can start doing some math there. Either way, it still would have like, I don't know, I, it really depends on the specialty. Some of them actually, it would have made more sense to go private because that's probably could be the sum entirely 
of what your loans are, depending on what you have. So if you want to geek out, that's kind of what you want to see is the averages. And don't look online as much. Just literally cold call even or ask the people in the hometown or city that you want to go to what things look like. And they'll give you a good idea of what the different like uh, salary incomes are. Usually people in the same profession want to help each other with those kind of things. Exactly right. And there's even online, there's a bunch of websites that'll tell you this is the private pay, public pay. And then going back to PSLF, so just to kind of go over what it exactly is. So public service loan forgiveness is where basically you're working for a not-for-profit organization for 10 years. Most of our residencies are are not-for-profit hospitals. And at the end of those 10 years, if you make a payment every single month on time, the government will forgive the remaining balance you have on your loan after those 10 years. So that's kind of the gist of PSLF. And that's why it's, it's a great program because most doctors do have long residency periods, anywhere from myself, uh, residency and fellowship, five years. Sanjay, I believe, had six. And if you can kind of get those at a lower income bracket where you're paying off minimal amounts and having those years count, then when your salary does jump up as an attending, yes, you're paying a little bit more, but you only have three or four years left. And then the rest of that debt is forgiven. So it's really a great program. It's something to be aware of. Now, for me personally, I went right into private practice after, and I didn't qualify for it. So at that point, I refinanced my loans. Now, again, I kind of wish that I knew that or thought about that from the beginning because I paid four years of interest at 6.8%, which is a lot higher than like Sanjay said. I ended up getting like 0.25% interest on my variable rate loan when I refinanced in my first year of practice. So it's, it's really tremendous out there. If you just take a look. That's amazing. That hurts. Luck. It was very lucky. It was a great time to graduate and their interest rate. And he's humble. Well, and he's humble. Well, the interest rate environment is now really different, right? So it's something to be cognizant of. Right. And I really do think that, you know, with fed, I think that you owe it to yourself to see what you could refinance at. Now I wouldn't refinance until the moratorium, goes away on uh, repayments and forbearance. But after that goes away, if you haven't kind of done your homework at least a little bit to figure out where you can lock in your rates, you're just hurting yourself in the long term. And I would just add, as you both said earlier, there's this need for constant education. The economics keep changing. The rates keep changing. Currently, there's also a lot of questions about the future of student loan forgiveness. So it's constantly evolving. But you certainly need to understand your options no matter where you are in your career. And it's tricky, right? It's not super, like I'm trying to simplify it and Sanjay's trying to simplify it to the lowest common denominator, but everyone's individual situation is so different. I wish that there was more help out there. Something like that, if I had access to when I was um, a resident, would be really helpful to get that information kind of that's not biased and presents me what my options are and what I can do that I'm not beholden to, meaning that I can still check rates at multiple different banks or institutions or credit unions, uh, but this is their advice. And I think something like that is really, really helpful. Yeah. And just to piggyback that, we're fortunate, you're fortunate again with your salaries that you're not worried about the next year or two or three years. You're really thinking, I kept hearing that, you're, you know, but you're thinking long-term, you'll make so much money. That's what a lot of the advisors or whatever that tell you when you're in that situation, but you're not in there yet. So it's hard to digest, but it's true. I mean, you're thinking about your life years down the line and really what you're able to do or not do. So that's why one, don't rush or stress into it. Two, take your time. If I heard this podcast, 30 minutes, 45, whatever we condense it down to, if I heard that going into it just in one hour car ride, I was actually commuting for hours between uh, places to see my wife and kids at one point. It would have just been so helpful, right? Like, because it's the simple concepts that really do go a long way, that compounding over six years, that kind of like um, patience and, and, and 
and how to explore. There's just the vision on even knowing the first basics to be able to go kind of explore and, and tease down as much as much or as little as you want to. Well, and it's hard, right? This is not exciting. Like, I don't get excited thinking about finance like yes, most of us. Um, yes, well, I'm, yeah. I'm a little different. I do get excited about thinking about finance, but most of us don't get excited about it. And I think you just owe it to yourself to spend maybe an hour a month. I know that may be a lot or even an hour every few months to just kind of take stock of where your finances are going. It's it's super easy to just have a check come into your bank account and kind of disperse whichever way it does. But think about your budgeting, think about where your money is going, and think about how you can kind of set yourself up for you or to your future self. Um, I think that's the analogy Sanjay uses, right? Like, if I could tell my future self this, I wish I had. And if I could tell your future self something, it's take an hour or two, you spend all this time studying in medicine, uh, take an hour or two and educate yourself on your finances. It's really important for your future, especially kind of setting up a nice broad foundation to build on. And this is where it starts when you start making money in residency. It's a great time. Uh, it's a very exciting time in your lives because you're finally on your own and you're making money. You're not taking on more debt uh, unless you do forbearance like Sanjay. <laughs> oh, really? I was way, I was, you've been so gracious so far. I knew eventually I needed a job. It was called for <laughs> No, no, I'm teasing. Um, you know, but it, you owe it to yourself. Build that foundation. Spend a little bit of time, kind of getting that knowledge base, and you'll be much better off. And the knowledge will just kind of build on itself once you get into it. And I think that if you don't do it, yeah, you're probably going to kick yourself a little bit three or four years down the road when you're graduating and getting that attending salary. On top of that, if you're a Type A personality, you're gonna. I know it always caused me background stress when somebody would bring it up and say a term I didn't understand. Pre-post, uh, pre-tax, post, IRA, Roth, I would just get literally like visceral like anxiety and I would still just push it away more. If you if it was completely inactionable or like you didn't take any action on your knowledge, I guarantee you your comfort level and that background kind of thought and angst that may eventually lead to an impulsive or rash decision just to make that feeling go away all at once. Instead, that feeling would go away, even with no actions made with it alone. And that's pretty invaluable. I was going to ask about uh, your anxiety and in- intimidation and that sort of feeling of it. But uh, yes, I you just hit it, hit it on the head there too. That idea of like finding out the answers that can give you a little bit of mental peace. And while it's not the most fun thing to sort of research, you know, what is the information that will make you feel a little bit better about, about your financial choices? Would you say that there's something as a resident that you can do to give yourself, future self, less anxiety? I think we've covered most of it. But one thing I do want to mention uh, that a lot of people don't think about kind of really off, not off topic, but doesn't relate to these things specifically, is that if you know where you want to go, every time I ask people, oh, you know, where are you looking at to go and stuff? And obviously, I want to bring more oncologists here because we started practice and a lot of need in the South, unfortunately. Like, like, oh, you know, I'll start looking third year. If you know where you want to go, they, you can, it's very easy for the most specialties to negotiate a stipend and a bonus uh, if you know you're headed there anyway. That's one element of it, so you're less stressed. But two, if you considered even your stipend, so the bonus is going to be nice, and that can be enough to get you through that fellowship. If you put your stipend towards paying back your loans, or you even started putting into some of the talk things we talk about in future episodes with like, you know, let me just put it in this kind of market thing or this way where it'll just grow by itself in the background, or let me do a, a pre-tax because my insurance is so, I mean, my, my tax is so low as a resident. If there's any pre-tax things I can do, that would be amazing, right? Those are things you can explore by getting that um, stipend early. And because if you can put that sum in, and you're not compounding and compounding and compounding that interest that's building over time, it literally goes so 
such a long way. So that's number one. That's really cool. And the second thing, and I'm like three mortgages in now, but like I didn't know, for example, that I could have gotten, and I think we talked about this in the future, but there, there are places where you can get basically a promise in the future to get some points off of your mortgage rate just by when you refinance. You're already not compounding your interest, or if you are, it's at a lower amount. You're locked in. And for your future self, you've already hooked him up or hooked her up with some points off your mortgage if you have that account and everything in place. So there's all these tricks that fortunately, somehow you're listening to this and you're going to get them in a couple of episodes that will literally plant all the seeds to be able to look out for your future self, make you less anxious, even if you did nothing, which you probably will do some things and, um, and basically be headed in the right direction. Yeah. So those are great points. And you know, I love mortgage products. So I'll tell you a little bit about it before our next podcast. So I was able to get a condo in the city of Chicago as a resident with essentially 0% down. And that's one of the great things that our field has. Uh, Lenders know that physicians are going to make good money down the road. So they're willing to give you a 0% down on a loan just based on your profession. So I bought a condo with 0% down and I would make my monthly payments. My monthly payments were actually the same as what rent would have been. So instead of paying rent, I was essentially paying the mortgage company the same amount of money and I was building equity, which is the part of uh, the principal that I would actually get to keep on my property. Even that simple thing is hard for people to understand. Instead of rent, when you're done, that money's gone. What Chirag was doing is he didn't owe anything more for what that you know four hundred thousand dollar let's just say condo was. I don't know what it was. He's getting to pay at it, and then he, when he quote unquote sells it, even though most of the money, half three quarters, is still the bank's. That quarter that he did pay in quote unquote rent was actually going towards his quote unquote equity, towards his mortgage, or towards toward the amount he took away for his condo, and then he pays the bank back and just got to keep what he was paying while he was there. I mean that's. That concept is even a big one, right? Like it's just, it's so huge. If you can get that 0% down, it's, it's unreal. And it is there. And that's the same thing actually we were able to get here. And we're so lucky as physicians that we have that available. I think that's one of the best programs out there. And then the other thing I just want to touch on before we end this is don't be anxious. Even if you for, do forbearance or can't pay something or have credit card debt, we're all going to be fine. We're all physicians. We're all making really good salaries as attendings. Uh, you too will get there if you're a resident. And if you're a first year or second year attending, you're going to be fine. Uh, we're all going to have a good lifestyle. I wouldn't stress saying, oh man, I did this and this. Uh, at the end of the day, I think this is just stuff that's going to help you get ahead, but you're going to be fine. And I would leave you with that is don't let this stuff stress you out. Try and educate yourself and learn and um, you're going to be fine. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing all of those insights. And you've teed up really nicely our next topic, which we'll be talking a little bit more about mortgage and physician mortgage. And again, what those look like in the current market. Tandra, thank you so much, Chirag. Thanks for having, you know, sparing just one jab today. This was very helpful and I hope it helps a lot of people. It was great talking to the both of you and uh, I'm looking forward to next month. Thank you again, Dr. Janeja and Dr. Shaw. And we'll look forward to seeing you next month when we'll be talking about physician mortgage. Thanks again and see you then. Any opinions, findings, and conclusions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Laura Road. In providing this information, neither Laura Road nor KeyBank nor its affiliates are acting as your agent or is offering any tax, financial, accounting, or legal advice. Our guests, Dr. Sanjay Janeja and Dr. Shirag Shah, have promoted Laura Road and have received compensation for their time. Laura Road is a brand of KeyBank, NA, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. NMLS number 
399-797.